Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, do y'all remember the recent Asbury revival? Whether you call it a revival or mass confusion, let's talk about it. It was a situation that I found absolutely fascinating for the simple fact that it put professing Christians at odds with one another. My guest on the show today is Cody Cook, and he had a Facebook post about Asbury that caught my attention, so I invited him on to discuss this further. Let's go. Yeah. Left, right, left, right, left. We got our marching right, orders, man. Left, right, left, right. We'd rather left, serve God than right, serve Caesar, you left, know me? Right. I'm just trying to live what he said. I'm just trying to live. Cody, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. I've, uh, you and I have been connected on Facebook for a little bit now. Not, not for very long, but I know I've seen you in on other people's posts that I know on Facebook, and I, somehow we, we now we're connected on Facebook as well. And so I get to see some of your your fantastic Facebook commentary. <laughs> Thank you. I think I probably friended you because I listened to uh, listened to the podcast. I was familiar with, with your work there, and so thanks for the uh, uh, the friend request. Accept. For sure. Yeah. I always, I always like it when I get friend requests and it's not people um, that are upset with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, 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 want, they want to be friends with me for real. So yeah, I always appreciate those kind of friend requests. So before we get into this, and, and like what I like to do, since this is your first time on the show, is get the guests to give us a little background of themselves. Tell us a little bit about themselves, whatever you want us to know about you so they, have, they can be a little familiar with who Cody Cook is. Yeah, I always feel weird talking about myself. I need to like keep a, a, a little biography I can read or something when, when I get asked this question. Um, I'm a, uh, a you know <laughs> theology major, working on my, uh, finishing up my master's degree right now, just a couple classes away. Um, and uh, I would use the word Christian anarchist to describe myself. Um, I've done some, some writing and podcasting um, on kind of theology in general, but also as, as it relates to that sort of area of sort of Christian anarchism. Live in Cincinnati, so I'm a little bit of a drive from you, but not too too far. I think you're in Nashville, is that right? No, I'm outside of Memphis. Outside of Memphis, that's it. Sorry, but in Tennessee though, so not too too far. But yeah, so uh, grew up in the Midwest, and that's that's kind of me, I guess. Cincinnati, Ohio. I've never I've never made my way to Ohio. I didn't. I do know some folks that live there though, and actually, there's there's a girl that works where I work that she's from Ohio. Y'all, y'all are interesting, interesting people, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but they say the same thing about me. I mean, I've been—I I was born and raised in West Texas, from the South, and everybody thinks I'm a little—I don't know—I don't know if interesting is what they would use to describe me. That's maybe they think I'm strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. I've been there. Let's start here with uh, with 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 the Asbury thing. Part that I found so fascinating about this and was just. Like I told you before we started recording, it wasn't it wasn't agnostics and atheists that were bashing what was going on in Asbury. It was Christians. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. I said, there's people seem to be hungry for something. They seem to be coming. They're they're look they're searching for something. And there are people getting baptized and they're just they're praising Jesus and they're talking about Jesus. And I'm like, why are y'all so upset about this? And I couldn't figure out. I, I still don't understand it. You know, I guess people got their own reasons for. Uh, being skeptical of it, and that's fine. I mean, that, that, that's okay. I guess you, if, if, if you think it's strange, maybe. But there's also at the time these folks were not, there was a lot of people that were trying to co-opt it too and trying to come in, like these speakers were trying to come in and they were keeping them out. So no, we don't need you here to do that. 
that's not what's going on here. This is not something we're we're trying to do here, you know. So I thought that was pretty cool. It was like, all right, see, so people were trying to put put them insert themselves into basically just to be like grifters, I guess, more than anything. Certain sort of Christian celebrities, they, they wanted to be seen there on the stage. Basically, yeah, and Christian celebrities are trying to insert themselves into this, and these folks at Asbury are like, no, 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 we got this. So I was like, all right, well, that kind of gives it a little legitimacy, legitimacy to me. That okay, what they're doing is just is a legit thing. This is what they this is something they're doing. They just kept doing it, kept doing it, and people were coming in and they finally shut it off, I guess. And I I have a I got added to this Facebook group of this Asbury revival thing and I don't participate in it, but I watch the post on it and I watch the, the people that are they're talking about it. And to me, this is just my thoughts on it and and I and, and people people were arguing with me about this and but this is just where I'm at with it. I was okay with it. It did not it did not upset me. I just but I could not understand why Christians were so upset about it. And there was one scripture that kept coming to mind that that I could not that I couldn't get out of my head when I kept thinking about this. It's Matthew 19, 14. Yeah, it says, But Jesus said, Leave the little children be and do not prevent them from coming to me, for such is the kingdom of the heavens. Now when when he, when he says this, when I used to read that scripture, I always just assumed just little children. But when I read when I was reading in light of like the Asbury thing, I was like, well, maybe some of these folks are just new to it. And if you're going to try and prevent these little children, people are younger in the faith and they don't, they're still trying to learn this stuff. You're preventing them from from coming to Jesus. I don't think that's a good idea. Matter of fact, I think Jesus made it very clear that it's not a good idea to do that. And maybe I'm reading that. If I'm reading that wrong, please correct me. But the way I'm reading that scripture in light of what was going on in Asbury, I was like, why are these folks preventing people from coming and getting baptized from coming and worshiping Jesus? Or why are they trying to prevent it? Or why are they, why are they casting down these actions? But I couldn't, because I couldn't figure out what was going on here. In a lot of cases, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the Pharisee problem, right? It's, it's not happening under their auspices or under their authority. So it's, it's suspect, right? And, you know, Asbury University is a Methodist university and it, it's, you know, everything that happened there was very Methodist, right? It was, you know, uh, warm, but not emotional. It was um, open, but also orderly. And it was like one of these kinds of things that was, I think, just kind of sure to make nobody happy, really, as far as like from these other traditions, you know, charismatics were skeptical of what happened in Asbury, Asbury because it was too orderly. You know, the spirit was being quenched by the leader's desire to structure the event, not let it turn into a circus. Fundamentalists were skeptical because it wasn't happening at a KJV only school um, or, you know, or also because they thought it was too emotional on the other side of the, the you know, charismatics. And then, of course, Calvinists just didn't like it because it was an Armenian school. But I think, you know, for some people, it's, it's disappointing when that kind of thing happens outside of their tradition or, or outside of what they think it should look like. Um, and, you know, I think part of that is when we kind of have the sense that the way that we do Christianity is the right way, um, the fact that God would ever do something for people who think differently than we do <laughs> or have you know, a different kind of polity or different theology or whatever, uh, that, that, that seems to really bother us. <laughs> so maybe that's, maybe that's a big part of the reason for this, for the suspicion. Well, I think that's, that's, that's really kind of what I was seeing too. And I would, I would ask them too. That's a, so since it didn't happen in your church, is this why you have a problem with it? Because it's not happening the way you want to worship. Is, is you have a problem with it? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure that people worship in their own way. And since it's not coming from your church or your tradition or how you think this should be happening, that's why you have a problem with it. Because you think you've got all this figured out. This is the source of frustration for me, Cody, when it comes to Christians, because they, they have this idea that, 
everybody's got to worship the same way, or they've all got to learn this the same way. They've all got to believe this the same way, or you're not right, or you're just going to hell if you don't believe this, you know, and it just, and I, I, I get so sick of this better than that or, 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 or holier than thou art type mentality that comes from Christians because there were Pharisees back then. You mentioned Pharisees. We have modern day Pharisees these days without people even realizing they're Pharisees, I think. And it's, it's, it's so strange to me how you, you just can't humble yourself and be like, oh, okay, let them figure this out. If this thing in Asbury is legit, all right, if it's not legit, they'll figure it out. Well, and, and also, you know, another thing is God moving amongst a group of people isn't necessarily him signing off on everything they do and believe. You know, you can say, you know, that's wonderful. God is moving in this denomination that I don't like. You know, like that's 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 great that yeah. God's doing that. You know, <laughs> then maybe they're wrong about something. Like, you know, um, a lot of these sort of revivals that hap- are happening in charismatic communities uh, where you have like some, you know, sort what a lot of people who are non-charismatics would see as very strange behavior. And, you know, maybe some of that is manufactured. Maybe some of that isn't sincere. Maybe some of it is because they have this expectation it's going to be this way and they kind of lean into that sort of, you know, kind of strange behavior or whatever. But that doesn't mean that God's not doing anything. And I think that's really this kind of question of what's a real revival is, I think, really underneath this whole thing. And, you know, you know, first of all, I think we could ask, you know, what is a revival? Because you have to maybe define our terms, but, you know, it's not like a biblical world, a word. It's a word that that's developed a lot, especially in kind of Western Christianity. Uh, you can, you know, they root it sometimes in things that happen in the Bible, like, you know, what happened at Acts 2 at Pentecost or, uh, you know, Josiah's kind of revival, the Solomon's dedication of the temple, where you have these kind of outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, where where I grew up, you, you probably maybe even see it more down where you are, but uh, where, where revival is defined as this thing where, you know, uh, two two weeks from now, we're going to have a revival, you know, come on by. <laughs> and it's this thing that gets scheduled. Uh, we used to do that at my church, the church I used to go to. We're gonna, we, we would schedule a revival. <laughs> and, then, and, and then somehow, and then, you know, they, they didn't make sure that the Holy Spirit RSVP'd before they had it. Uh, and so, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's this thing that, you know, we were just going to hang out in a tent for a week or whatever. And that's a revival. And, you know, there are people who are kind of more progressive who said, well, you know, who may be questioning Asbury because they thought the revival is when, God sparks social change, right? You know, that there should be this kind of desire to, to make a better world if revival is really happening and the spirits really moved. A lot of people think that a revival is when lots of non-Christians get saved. And so the fact that a lot of these, these students were already, you know, identifying as Christian meant that it wasn't really a revival, right? Um, uh, or you know, in what was happening at Asbury is this, these, you know, these Christians who are making this commitment to be more serious about following Jesus because the spirit's moving, you know, is that a real revival or is that not a real revival? And so I, I think, you know, part of it is a definitional thing. We have this image in our head of what a revival is, and it's rooted in this kind of nostalgic idea about things that happened a few hundred years ago under the auspices of, you know, Jonathan Edwards and uh, uh, George Whitfield and, uh, you know, guys like that. And, and you know, we do this thing, um, especially more conservative and kind of fundamentalist Christians, you know, Jesus talked about how uh, you know, the, the people who were uh, the descendants, uh, sorry, the ancestors of the Pharisees, how they killed the prophets and the Pharisees built their monuments, right? And it's really kind of interesting. It may be, be fun and interesting to get into this, but if you go back to, I, I kind of spent some time looking spe- kind of more deeply at the Great Awakening specifically, uh, which is one of, one of these great revivals in, in American history. And you look at the reaction to it at the time <laughs> and how you know, there were a lot of much more sort of conservative people who 
didn't like it. And they were very, they were very skeptical of it. They saw it as like dangerous. And it's hard not to think that a lot of the people who uh, were critical of what was going on at Asbury, just kind of as a matter of course, uh, if you place them back in that context, they probably would have also been critical of what was happening in the Great Awakening. And, you know, sometimes for good reason, it was, you know, it was, it was not, but it was because it was a complicated thing. It was, there was a lot going on. We think of a revival as this thing where the Holy Spirit moves and it's purely of God and there's no human in it. Uh, and that's not the way it works. You know, God may move, but we still are going to interpret it and respond to it and organize around it. And that might be healthy or unhealthy. That might be good or bad. And so you can't entirely disentangle the divine and the human parts of what, what's happening when God moves. That there, there's, there's, there's both going on. Well, you know, it's I know folks that actually went and visited Asbury that, that, that when all that was going on, and I didn't hear the, any complaints from them. They seemed to enjoy this the, the the situation. They seemed to enjoy being able, being able to participate in whatever was happening. Whether it was God moving or whether it was uh, a legit revival or, or or whatever, there were folks there, and the idea that they were just that they, they were praising Jesus—that's fantastic to me. Well, would we would we rather wake up every day and argue about a, a a beer can, you know, or do you want to wake up and argue about Jesus being talked about? I couldn't understand why this was such a was such a thing among Christians, you know, and and I want to. I, I got you. You sent your the, the original Facebook post that, that caught my attention. I mentioned in the intro, and I want to read it because, and so kind of give us some groundwork to before we get move any further because it's not that long, but it's going to take me a minute to read it. But let's just all right. A few thoughts about Asbury skepticism among Christians. This is your Facebook post. Revival doesn't have to look like it did in the 18th century Europe and the United States. You don't need lots of sermons preached by a pastor to have a revival. The notion that you do is rooted in an anachronistic notion of the preacher as essential to church gatherings that Luther popularized in the 16th century. The desire for Christians to want more of God and to be more committed is a move of the Holy Spirit. We value cheap conversion over costly discipleship, with the result that discipleship is perhaps the weakest area of the Western church right now. However, it's key to effective and enduring evangelism. Incidentally, most revivals in the last few hundred years of the West have been in Nominally Christian countries have resulted in people who claim to be Christians becoming truly committed. So if that's our standard, Asbury is not an anomaly. Not everything that comes out of Asbury is going to be perfect. But if God uses it to change hearts and move people toward him, then praise God. Every revival has brought in charlatans and spiritual tourists. Remember Jesus' parable of the seeds. Recall also that the real revivals of precious centuries didn't end slavery or create perfect Christians, but they were still moves of God. Emotion is essential to being human. Read some accounts of the Great Awakenings and tell me that emotionalism is, a, is absent from what took place or from the desire of many today to recreate those events. Emotion is not a bad thing if it's an organic response to something real. And I love the post, man, because there was a lot of there was a lot of things that I was trying to work out in my own head about it. Because like I said, I kept seeing Christians bashing it and then there were other Christians praising it. Why are we fighting about this? And I ran across your post one night. I said, all right, Cody just said, explain this to me. Like I was, I was needing this explained to me and Cody explained it to me without him knowing he was explaining it to me. So I appreciate the, the, the post in itself. Oh, thank you. Glad to hear that. So with all that being said, where do we go from here? The next time something like this pops up, are we, are we going to, are we going to fight about it or are we let it play out? You know, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I just, I, I still cannot wrap my brain around the, the, the confusion or the, the, the fighting among Christians about it. And I guess, I, I guess I'm, 
I mean, as anarchists, I guess we're skeptical of a lot of things anyway, you know, but this was just the, the skepticism among this was a little strange to me. Like, I mean, we should be skeptical about a lot of things that churches do. <laughs> I mean, because especially, you know, you like Westboro Baptist Church, we should be very skeptical of their things, right? Because that doesn't look like Jesus. But what these folks were doing, I just, I just could not find any fault in it. Yeah, you know, I think it's important to have critics because I think we we arrive at the truth through conversation and discussion. As long as we're you know really willing to have a, a genuine conversation and listen to each other, so I I don't I don't begrudge people who say you know let's wait and see or uh, this part of it just didn't set well with me. You know what I think it's it's fine to ask those questions and, and to look more closely at it. So I'm not I'm not bothered by that necessarily, but yeah, I, I think when when you're kind of sort of out to prove that there's something wrong with it, that it doesn't line up with, with your vision of what the Holy spirit should be doing or whatever. I think that's a different kind of motivation. You know what I mean? Um, as Christians, I think we're supposed to be open to moves of the spirit, but we're also supposed to be discerning. And so there's room for both of those things, as long as we're not just, just being critical, just to be critical. Yeah. And I, I think that's what I was, what I was seeing. I think that's what I was, it seemed like people were just being critical, be critical. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a healthy skepticism from what I was seeing from folks. And I think that's why I got so bothered. And somebody even told me, I said, you seem so angry about this. And I think a lot of it, it wasn't anger on my end. I think my anger or my frustration comes out across as being angry and I'm not angry, but when I see something going on and I got some questions, I don't, maybe it's just the way I approach the approach situations. It, maybe it seems like I'm angry, but I was never angry about it. But you know, and I've, and I've said this a hundred times on this show that the, the Bad Roman Project was born out of my frustration, and the folks who helped me get it started is frustration with a lot of things we were seeing in the in the church and when it came to politics and stuff. And that hasn't stopped. I mean, I still I I, I find more frustration with Christians that I do secular folks, you know, because I can see a, an atheist or an agnostic behaving more like Jesus Christ than Christians are right now. And and, and I, I feel like maybe sometimes I pick on the church too much, but I, I try not to, but I do quite a bit. But I, it's just because I think we can be better. And, and this is me included. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I've got all this stuff figured out either. Because I, I am so far away from having this stuff figured out. That's why I think it's something we do every day. We're, we wake up every day trying to figure this stuff out. But this whole Asbury thing was so so fascinating to me. And it was just so strange to me that Christians couldn't, we're, we're having a problem with it. And I'm like, but they're, they're praising Jesus. They're singing songs to Jesus. And yes, emotion is going to be involved with that. I mean, it, there's, I don't, if there's one Christian's ever been to a church service or has ever been spoken to by God in in a, in, a, in a message or something, and not been a little emotional about it, I'll eat your hat because I don't believe you. Because I think every Christian has experienced that at least once in their in their in their walk with Christ. And what this was happening in Asbury to me, I thought I thought it was beautiful. I just found it. I, th- I found it to be a beautiful thing that these folks were praising Jesus and people were getting baptized and people were coming to and folks who maybe not even been Christian are now Christians. We should be praising God for this and not arguing about it or trying to discount what they're doing. And that's that's where, and if I if I came across as angry to folks about this, I apologize, but I was not angry with anybody. I was just frustrated and just really kind of concerned with 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 the, the fighting going on among Christians about this. That really concerned me. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about the emotional aspect of it, I mean, it was too emotional for the fundamentalists, but not nearly emotional enough for the charismatics, right? <laughs> um, and just looking at emotion 
as a, as a concept, what, what its place in um, you know Christian worship or whatever. I mean, we have similar debates about you know using music or lights or emotional appeals and sermons to to manipulate a spiritual experience, right? Um, it, it's been said that when Jonathan Edwards read his sermon "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," that he did so in a monotone voice to avoid manipulating the crowd. But we you know we'll set aside the manufactured emotional and dramatic language in the sermon itself about being dangled over the precipice of the flames. But uh, but even though he, he supposedly spoke in this monotone, the people were weeping and fainting in the aisles anyway, right? And that's supposed to be this example of, you know, the way it's supposed to be. You're not doing these, you know, dramatic emotional manipulation things. You're just, you know, tell it like it is and people just respond to it because the spirit's, you know, provoking them. Well, also your words are, but also the spirit. Um, but like on the other hand, though, you had, um, you know, there was a revivalist named Charles Finney. Um, and he intentionally used what he learned in the secular sciences about human psychology to make more effective appeals to his audience. You know, maybe you can call that manipulation, but he knew he, he learned about how humans think and react. And he used that knowledge to craft his sermons and his the way he spoke in such a way that he would he would be more effective. And so is one approach a real movement of God and the other manufactured is, I think, really the question that people are asking. And to me... I would say humans are embodied. You know, God made us that way. There's nothing wrong with appealing to our embodied experience so long as that appeal isn't manipulative or dishonest. Um, I think it should be noted that Asbury didn't begin with an emotional appeal, though. It began with a sermon that was preached by a man who saw it initially as a disappointment. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, something or someone moved in that crowd, and that appears to have been at least partly the Spirit of God. So you know, if someone listening you know, has romanticized the revivals of, of centuries past, but doesn't trust what happened at Asbury. They may be in for rude awakening if, if they actually learn about what was happening <laughs> in the Great Awakenings and, and just how complicated those events were. Um, and, and this kind of range of experiences and styles of worship and reactions and, and just all the conflict that it created among different types of church traditions. Well, and then I think also as well that the uh, when the, when, the, when the, the initial service ended, Folks just hung out. They just stayed, and they 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 they, they, they didn't want to leave, and they just stayed. Sure, it's not because that, that's when when I heard that or when I read about that, I was like, well, I don't think this was manufactured. I think that just people just wanted to hang out and keep talking about Jesus, keep praising Jesus, and they just kept going. And then the more the word spread about it, then more people were got interested, and the more people started showing up. It got to the point they could, you know, people couldn't make their way into the church because it was so full all the time, you know. And I don't know, man. I just find that absolutely beautiful. Because yeah, there's so many things that we argue about these days that we argue about, like I said earlier, about a beer can or about politics or something. But just to me, this is not something we, in my opinion, this is not something we should have got upset about, but it happened. And that's why I wanted to get you on the show to talk about this and, and, and kind of kind of go over it. And people are going to make their own mind, maybe already made their own minds up about it. And that's fine. But it's what I like to do with the show is if I got something that I want to talk about, because I'm, I'm still trying to get some answers to it. I'm going to do it on the show as well because it helps me process some of it. It helps me work through some of this stuff, you know, and maybe I'm being selfish. Maybe I use the Bad Road Podcast as a selfish way to, to help Craig understand some things. Hey, folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, 
and send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Maybe just explain what the Great Awakening was, and if, if there's any kind of comparison that you saw with Asbury and the Great Awakening. Yeah, so I, I looked uh, kind of closely at the Great Awakening uh, recently, um, and it, there's there's a really interesting book that kind of gives uh, some details of the, the kind of the history of it and kind of a timeline. But it also appeals to a lot of um, primary sources, so the things that people at the time were saying about it. And so the Great Awakening is 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 you know was a series of revivals that was originally centered in the Northern American colonies in the early 1740s. Um, they're now seen by a lot of conservatives and fundamentalists as this kind of movement of God, you know, that, you know they're very nostalgic for it. You know, we, this is something we should fervently desire today. This was, this was the Lord moving. It's not like the kind of stuff we have now, you know, this, this kind of, you know, love for the past type thing. And so, but, but, but it's, 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 it really should be noted that the great awakening was, was not seen by more conservative Christians at the time as a positive thing necessarily. So just like with Asbury, there were Christians who were enthusiastic about the movement, Christians who saw it as a bad thing, and lots of Christians in the middle who gave the revivals a, a kind of a mixed reception. So enthusiastic supporters were more radical. They included kind of charismatic and anti-clerical elements. Um, um, detractors were closely associated with traditional and structured church power, and they saw the revivals as socially dangerous and disruptive. So they didn't like the, the radicals' idea that the Holy Spirit enabled regular lay Christians, including women, children, Native Americans, and Blacks, to be preachers and prophets because it challenged their status. You know, back then, to be a pastor in a church, um, you had to be a white male college graduate. And so this idea that there are, are you know, slaves who are just getting up and speaking at these, you know, at these revival meetings and, and leading them was very, uh, you know, I think disturbing for, for people who were in power, who were kind of part of that, you know, kind of structured Christianity. And so people who were critical of it were called the old lights. And so they didn't obviously care for this denial of their authority, but they also had, you know, some, some maybe more legitimate concerns about these sort of charismatic excesses of the radicals. So there were things like, you know, these uncontrollable laughter fits that they thought, well, that's kind of weird. That doesn't really seem like something that God would, God would, uh, would lead to happen. Uh, there was another uh, radical preacher named James Davenport who uh, sort of in a fit of ecstasy took off his pants and threw them in a bonfire. <laughs> and um, so there was stuff like that that was seen as that's a little weird, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's worth noting that, that unlike other revivals in recent decades, Asbury was actually not marked by this kind of weird, fervent, charismatic enthusiasm. That wasn't what was happening. These are, you know, fairly, you know, Methodists. They're not like, like I said, they're kind of, how do I say it? You know, like they're, they're, they're sort of warm hearted, but they're, but they're also kind of buttoned down. You know what I mean? They're not super charismatic. They're not cold either. Um, and so they, they wanted things to be sort of orderly. And, and so you didn't have that kind of weirdness happening at Asbury. Um, so people who don't like that kind of stuff, the more conservative fundamentalists, um, it's worth noting that they love the Great Awakening, but they were critical of Asbury. And the Great Awakening had that kind of stuff they think is weird, but Asbury didn't. Um, but, but also like Asbury, the Great Awakening was sparked by young people. Um, I, I, um, Joel 228 comes to mind. Afterward, I'll, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Um, but the uh, 1734 Northampton revival that began when Jonathan Edwards exhorted local youth to be born again, um, 
that that uh, kind of movement. So he's sort of speaking to these young people, and they sort of start to, uh, you know, kind of like, I don't know. They start to repent. They start to hear the spirit, and that spreads to the whole community, much like what happened at Asbury. Kind of interesting. Um, Edwards was, I think, a more moderate defender of the awakening. He was also one of its chief figures, but he wasn't one of the radicals. Uh, but he argued that the emotionalism found at some of these meetings was neither an argument for or against their legitimacy. What was really important to him was whether spiritual fruit like love, holiness, and generosity was produced in them. And, and by pretty much all accounts that I've heard, that was happening at Asbury. So if you're using the Jonathan Edwards test, I think you'd have to say that what's happening at Asbury was legitimate, that the Holy Spirit was moving in a way. So we kind of talked about, uh, oh, yes, the anti-revivalists, the more conservative people. So they, they saw emotion as a problem, <laughs> um, particularly those of a more Puritan bent, because the Puritan notion of conversion was it was this sort of sober, thoughtful process. It wasn't emotional. Um, you just kind of, you know, you, you sat down on a hard bench somewhere and and you <laughs> and you thought it through and you you either decided to convert or you didn't. And so the old light conservatives would often work against the revival's leaders, sometimes using, uh, sometimes using the law. They were, um, uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, I won't get too much into the legal stuff, but um, there were also like six different ministerial associations, um, as well as the faculties of Harvard and Yale, who advised their ministers to not allow George Whitfield to ever preach from their pulpits. And Whitfield was, was another interesting character because he was also one of those guys who used emotion. He was trained as an actor. And so, you know, absolutely he used that training when he spoke to large crowds of people and got them, got them, you know, going right. Um, in fact, uh, Ben Franklin became one a sponsor of his, uh, of his work. And Ben Franklin wasn't even a Christian, but he just thought George Whitfield was such an interesting and engaging speaker that he was like, he was just, he was so entertained by him that he was willing to, to put his money on him. Um, and so, um, as for this question of like the social justice stuff, right? So did the Great Awakening spark an interest in social justice uh, that the more progressive-minded Christians think should accompany revival? And my answer to that is yes and no. So, you know, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, they remained slave owners, even as they preached. Uh, but the revivals also, as I kind of mentioned before, they had this sort of equalizing effect between colors, economic statuses, sexes. Um, you had, like I said, women preachers, poor preachers, untrained people who are preachers, slaves who are preachers, Native Americans um, who were involved heavily as, as leaders in this revival. So that did level the playing field somewhat. Some have argued that the Great Revival paved the way for the American Revolution because of that kind of egalitarian, you know, sort of democratic spirit that was in it. That's been debated, but but it's it's, it's a popular view with among some historians. Um, so. When I hear critics of Asbury comparing it to past revivals, I have to say that the comparisons they're making are not between two real things. They're between a false nostalgia for the past and this kind of imbalanced humbuggery about the present state of the church, right? You know, you know, when I was a kid, it was this way. We understood what was going on and we had the Holy Spirit. And it's not like these kids today with their TikTok dances. So I, I think that there's a good chance that conservative critics in particular would not have been supporters of these past revivals that they claim to yearn so much for. Um, but yeah, there's this thing, we we romanticize the past and we tend to think that everybody around us today and, and just are, are, are idiots, you know, what's the matter with kids today kind of thing. Um, it was it was interesting to make those comparison points and, and to read up on the Great the Great Awakening because it was a much more complicated historical reality than so many conservative Christians think it was. You know, when they talk about revival and the desire for that, we need to have that again. I mean, I would say that what happened at Asbury was much less complicated. 
Um, I think it's still obviously something that is happening where humans are there and they're responding to it and they're shaping it. And it's not just God moving. Um, but I think um, th they also worked hard to control the excesses and to try to kind of keep an open mind and an open heart and not necessarily hijack what the Holy Spirit was doing and make it something else, which did happen, I think, in the Great Awakening at times. Yeah, it was also interesting to watch, too, when all this was happening, that movie Jesus Revolution came out. It was almost kind of strange how that kind of came together at once. I don't know if you if you ever watched the movie. I, I went I went to the theater and watched it. I I enjoyed it. I was but I went into the movie not knowing anything about any of these people. I didn't know anything about this. But I went and watched the movie. I enjoyed it. But I saw before I even went and watched the movie, people criticized the movie because I guess one of the guys in the uh, in, in in that story was a homosexual. And it was not mentioned in the movie, and that rubbed some people the wrong way. Why was this not brought up? And I'm like, I don't know. I thought the movie was supposed to be about Jesus. I didn't know we were going to make it about homosexuality or you know about this guy's uh, sex life. I did not know that that needed to be a thing. Because like I said, I didn't know anything about about the about the folks that were involved with the the quote unquote Jesus Revolution. I just thought the movie was great. That was just my opinion on it. So it was kind of interesting to see all that kind of come together at the same time. Because I saw folks in this Facebook group. In this Asbury Facebook group talking about the movie. Yeah, there, there, there are people who, who you know, obviously when you're doing history, you're leaving out certain details that you think are not as important or significant. You can't, you know, give an account of everything that happened. You, you focus on what you think are the important events. And so, you know, it makes sense that a, a film that's targeted toward a more conservative audience would probably not focus very much on the sexuality of, of uh, you know, one of the people who are involved in it if it doesn't, you know, line up with what they're what their views are. But it's also the case that, you know, I, I saw a lot of, like you said, some of these people who are kind of more progressive and they wanted a completely different movie. They wanted a movie that was about this guy who probably was struggling with his sexual identity and his faith. Uh, that was less flat, a, a less flattering story about this, this, this Jesus movement, because that's kind of the story that they want to tell. That's what they, that's how they see the world is, is this kind of complicated lens where I, you know, um, identities are conflicting with each other and people in power are always trying to kind of, uh, you know, undermine other people. And so, you know, we all, we all have these sort of <laughs> ways in which we look at history and that we want to put everything into that mold. Right. So, and that's true of the right and it's true of the left. It's true of the people who uh, want, want things to be like it used to be and who yearn for the great awakening or whatever. Um, and it's, it's true of, uh, you know, progressives who, who are, are critical of what's going on in the church, but you know, the reality is often more complicated than our narratives <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And I just, again, I just think it, I just thought that how it all kind of came together at once was, was really interesting. And again, I, and if folks, if you haven't watched the movie, go watch the movie. It, Cause like I, it was about, to me, it was supposed to be about Jesus. And like I said, I was unfamiliar with, with any of that, but I've talked to people who were actually a part of it or lived, lived it. And they didn't have a problem with the movie, you know, you know, and it, it's so interesting too. Like we've been talking about people who are critical of Asbury and this is not everybody, but just uh, not, not even just, uh, just a, a healthy skepticism about it, but people that were just seriously critical about it. It reminded me of something I saw in the, in the, in the movie I'm talking about when these hippies, I guess we'll call them hippies. Is that what we're, we're going to call them? You know, they whatever they, whatever they were coming into this church and it was upsetting the people that were used to their old way of their way of things being done, you know, and uh, people left the church. But it was so funny like a few people left the church and then this church got massive 
It got huge. And it was it was one of the lines in the movie. The guys looked at the pastor and he said, you're going to need a bigger building. Because <laughs> these folks are... They were yearning for something. They were, they, they were, they were, they were, they, they had a genuine love for Jesus. And because they didn't look like you or act like you or worship like you, it was a problem for folks. And I think that's the same thing I saw with the Asbury things because it was not the way you're used to, used to seeing things or the way you want things done. I don't know. I just, I just want people to be more careful about being so critical of something like that, especially whenever it comes to Jesus. Now, if, if you can, you can look at it and be like, well, I don't know. That doesn't even seem scriptural to me. Maybe, but at the same time, these folks were just worshiping Jesus. And I just, I don't know, man, I just, it was something that, like I said earlier, something that was so frustrating to me to watch because we, we fight about so many different stupid things these days. And this is just, to me, was not something we should be fighting about. Let them do it. Let them have a ball. Let them have to worship Jesus the way they see fit. I mean, come on. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that the posture of Christians should be um, inviting, right? You know, invite people in. And then once they're in, you can have the conversation. You can talk about theology. You can talk about disagreements and, 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 you know, how, how we can better follow Jesus. And, but, but, but I think if you, if you're, you know, if you, if you're ultimately just trying to keep people out, except for the people who look like you, that's, that's not, that's not the spirit of Christ. I think it's also not the spirit of Christ to sort of say theology doesn't matter and behavior doesn't matter. You know, it does matter. And, 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 but, but yes, I mean, invite people in and then have that conversation, uh, you know, treat them, treat them like a, a human being instead of like an outsider or, a, 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 you know, a, a condola, a, a somebody who's, a, you know, a, an untouchable or something uh, that that's that's <laughs> that's not that's not the vision that Christ had. Right. I mean, that was to some extent how, how a lot of uh, first century Jews saw Gentiles and uh, Jesus had a, a different uh, a, different, something different in mind. Right. And, you know, that doesn't mean that he signed off on their paganism or sexual immorality or anything like that, but it meant that he, he wanted to bring them in. Sure. Have your conversations about theology, have, have your debates, you know, but, but talk to, talk to these people as brothers and sisters in Christ that you care about instead of just trying to lock the doors of the church and, and, and saying, you know, the Holy spirit isn't interested in you. Yeah. And I, I just, I think that's very dangerous. I think it's dangerous it's dangerous behavior for Christians. And when I'm, when I mean, when I say dangerous, I mean, I, I, I think, I don't think that's something that, that Jesus would, would smile upon or, you know, be happy about or be pleased with. And I'm not, I'm not. But what, what, what you said earlier, right. That the passage, whoever, whoever causes these little ones to stumble and, 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 you know, little ones can refer to children, but there's also places in the gospels where it just refers to, it's kind of an affectionate term that Jesus has for his disciples. Yeah. You know, and, Somebody who's interested in following Jesus, um, you know, I think we should want to encourage that person for sure, <laughs> right? Make room for him, <laughs> not not say get out of here. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, if Jesus said, "Don't, don't suffer, don't become to me." I mean, I just and what, I used to read that scripture as children, babies, five year olds, you know. But the I guess the more I've kind of grown in my own understanding of my faith and stuff, I look at it now is somebody who's new to the faith or very young in the faith. That's what I was afraid of when I was seeing with the, with the Asbury thing was that they're still seeking stuff out. People were trying to hinder new people into, or young people in the faith or even new people to the faith. And I don't think that's a good idea. Actually, I think Jesus made it very clear. It's not a good idea. You know, it's just, um, it just, that's why I wanted to get you want to kind of just kind of flesh this out a little bit because uh, it's, it's kind of gone gone off off the off the wayside. I mean, I still see posts about it, like I said on that in that in that Facebook group, but it's not like it was at the at the heat of the moment and everybody 
was like, what's going on here? Is this a, is this a legit thing or is it um, manufactured like you were talking about earlier? And I just, I just, my opinion and Craig's opinion is where I land on it is I don't think it was manufactured. And the reason I don't think it was manufactured is because, like I said, at the end of that service, they just stayed. They continued to worship. They didn't want to leave. There was something happening that, that caused these people to want to stay. They didn't advertise this. They weren't doing, you know, ads for people to come to a revival. Like, you know, like I said, we used to schedule our revivals at the Southern Baptist Church that I would go to. We would schedule a revival. How do you schedule a revival? I don't know. The Holy Spirit's coming Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will be here at uh, 7.30. Be here at 7.30 when the Holy Spirit shows up. You know, so it was <laughs> so but the fact that these folks just hung out and then word spread. And I just thought it was a beautiful thing. And that's why I wanted to get you on and kind of kind of talk about it. Well, and I think it's, you know, we don't have much of an intent. You know, they used to talk about the 24 hour news cycle. It's like the, you know, 12 minute tweet cycle now. Um, but like, you know, yeah, it's it's happened. And, you know, it's I guess it's not entirely done. I mean, I think in Asbury, they've at Asbury itself, they've, they've kind of tried to rein it in a little bit and they, they sort of said, okay, well, we're going to open the chapel again just for students, but it has, it has spread and influenced other, other denominations and other churches and other colleges, which is great. So it is, it is sort of still rolling in one sense, but you know, it's important to keep, I think to, to kind of do a postmortem on stuff like this, because it helps us to think about, you know, what are we going to look at? How are we going to look at the next thing that happens? And what did this event say about where we are as a culture or a subculture today? And so, yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of value in, in sort of doing these assessments, even though, you know, that's, it's been a, you know, it's been a few weeks now or whatever. So uh, yeah, I, I think there's value in it for sure to, to have these discussions. Yeah, I think so too. And, and, and hopefully when the next thing rolls around, it's legitimate. I mean, and maybe it's not, maybe it's something, something people want to try to, I'm very, very, when I, when my skepticism comes in, when people start trying to, to play off of it, when, when money gets involved and all this stuff, that's where I get a little skeptical about it. Cause like, you're not, this is, I'm very cautious of like, uh, you, we see like, like you said earlier, Christian celebrities. And it just seems to me those folks need to stay away from stuff like this because they're only in it for their own, to me, for their own uh, benefit. I don't think that's what was happening with Asbury. I think it was just folks just wanting to, um, hang out sing songs about Jesus and pray and, and, and worship and fellowship. I just thought it was a beautiful thing. And when we talk about legitimate and illegitimate, I mean, it's almost like we're sort of saying either the Holy Spirit's moving in a vacuum or he's, you know, sort of taking control of us and, and we're, we're no longer free agents uh, or humans are doing it all by themselves and the Holy Spirit's not there at all. And, and it's, it's, you know, in, in most things like this that are going to happen, you know, God's at least a little bit involved in it. You know, God is moving through us and in us if we have the Holy Spirit, right? So if we're children of God, God is doing something in us at all times. And, you know, we also make our own decisions about what we're going to do, how we're going to respond to that. Uh, we may misunderstand what God's doing. We may think, well, the Spirit's moving. It's time to bark like a dog. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that might be what God wants us to do, but that doesn't mean that God isn't moving in us, right? And so, um, you know, the reality is, it's hard to completely disentangle this kind of stuff because it's God moving amongst people. And so I think to me, you know, it's almost like he, what makes it, I guess, maybe if you want to talk about legitimate versus illegitimate, um, maybe the, the, the most legitimate a movement like this can be is when people are most open to hearing what God is doing, uh, to, to hearing God, hearing God's voice, right. And their, their hearts are ready. Uh, and when, you know, they're trying to fake it or they're trying to take control of it. I guess that sort of, 
moves it in the direction of illegitimate. But, but, but I think we have to remember a revival is not a pure movement of God because we are also doing things. We are also involved in it. You know, it may look different for a lot of reasons. It may look different uh, because God wants to do something that maybe not what we want to see him do. You know, it looked pretty weird when, you know, God brought, got, got the, the Gentiles started speaking in tongues in the early church. That was not what anybody expected to see happen. But, you know, it's also the case that, you know, when, 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 when Gen Z starts, uh, when the Holy Spirit starts moving in Gen Z, it's going to look a little different than it looked like when Holy Spirit moved in Gen X or when the Holy Spirit moved in the boomers. Um, and that's not necessarily, be, not necessarily because God wants to do something different. It's because we're different people and it's a different culture. And so those moves are going to look different. Um, and, and I think we have to make a little bit of room for that because our faith is always contextualized. We are not Christians in a vacuum. We're Christians in a time and a place. Um, and that, that's going to have an impact on, on, on what those movements of God end up looking like. I completely agree. I think that's, I think that's a great point, too, because it just does look different. I mean, in, in church today, it looks different to me. And I, and I was talking to some folks who I know are charismatics about the Asbury thing, and I didn't come across any that had a problem with it. I mean, maybe, I guess maybe you saw some that did and because there wasn't enough emotion. But I didn't, the ones I talked to, they— they were more concerned. They had the same concerns I had about uh, that with the way Christians were, were kind of uh, bashing the whole situation. That, that's great. Yeah. And, and I, I did mention later that this has spread to other denominations and other. So it, it has been, it's not just, <laughs> there has been more openness to it. Obviously there are people who showed up from all kinds of backgrounds. Uh, I, 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 I guess I wasn't trying to say that all charismatics are critics but that the critics who are charismatics have a different kind of argument than the critics who are reformed or the critics who are fundamentalists. But you're going to, you're going to find people of all different backgrounds uh, who, who showed up at Asbury when that was going on. Yeah. And I think that's great, man. I mean, to, to, to we have to stop pretending that we all need to be the same. I mean, God created us in his own image, in his image, right? So he created us the way, the way we are, you know, we've got our own personalities. We've got our own way of doing things, you know, and, I, I I haven't been to church in quite some time, but the what I remember is there were folks from all different backgrounds. When I first moved to the Memphis area, I, I started going to this non-denominational church, and there were just folks from all different backgrounds. And I just think that's we we need to keep that in mind when something like this is going on that not everybody is like you. Yeah, and, and you know, just speaking for myself, I've learned from so many different Christian traditions. We were talking about Calvinist and Reform folks earlier. Um, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not reforming. I'm not a Calvinist, but, but man, if I haven't learned from Calvinists and, um, some of the things I learned were kind of based on the fact that they looked at things a little differently because of their theological tradition than I would. And, and so they saw certain things about the majesty of God and the sovereignty of God that, that maybe I'd be less likely to see because that wasn't really my background, you know? And so, um, I think, you know, we want to avoid, um, you know, heresy and stuff like that. Uh, but even on those things where, um, you know, we disagree, sometimes it's, it's, it may be more of a matter of less true and false and more of degree, you know, that, that Arminians learn from Calvinists and that Anabaptists learn from, uh, you know, Presbyterians or whatever. Um, we all, I think if the Holy Spirit's living in all of us, then we all have some insights. And so I think being part of a conversation is important. We don't necessarily have to have everything figured out. Um, and, you know, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I think we have, I think it's important to have some kind of lines around the borders. You know, this is how we can define 
you know, Christian faith or Christian belief or, or even Christian behavior to some extent, but that should be a pretty big tent, right? You know, a, a Muslim is not a Christian. Um, you know, an um, Orthodox Jew is not necessarily Christian. So we can draw these distinctions. A Hindu is not a Christian because they believe this and we believe that. And maybe, you know, you can even talk about, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons because they deny some central tenet of, of about, you know, who Jesus is or the, the creatorship of God or whatever. So we can talk about those, you know, what it is definitionally to be a Christian, but there's a lot of room within those borders for us to have these conversations, ultimately trying to arrive at truth, you know, but also not trying to silence people from that are also our brothers and sisters in Christ from sharing what they think their insights are. For sure. Yeah. And, and I agree too. I've, I've learned from Calvinists. I've learned from Armenians. I don't really fall into either camp. I don't think, I mean, I just, I just call myself a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I, I, I try really not to label myself in, in, in any of that stuff because I've got friends who are Calvinists. I've got friends who are Armenians. i got friends who are Muslims. i got friends, you know, I've got, a, I got a wide variety of friends. I know a lot of people and they all have different ideas about some things. And, I, and I'm, I'm like you, I've learned from, from all of them. You know, it's, it always brings to mind too, that even if you talk to an, I've, I've learned from atheists. Okay, and then which is which is may sound strange to people, but I, I've seen atheists act more Christ-like than Christians do sometimes, you know. And it's the same way with like with what what Gandhi said, and maybe I'm going off track here, but what Gandhi said, he goes, "I like your uh, Christ, but I don't like your Christianity," you know. And it, so you got people on the outside kind of looking in. And I mean, that was another fear of mine with the whole Asbury and the way people were reacting to it, with people on the outside looking in who are not necessarily Christian. But they're seeing how Christians are behaving and how people, how Christians are treating other Christians with all this. It, to me, it just was giving the giving uh, Jesus a bad name the way Christians were behaving with all this. And not everybody was so. Uh, I, I saw a post on Facebook. I'm not calling anybody out, but but I just saw stuff, a lot of stuff from people on Facebook about it. And I just I was just hoping that it was not going to hinder anybody coming to know Jesus Christ the way the way Christians were bashing the situation. That's what was that was my fear, and that's why I was like, "Calm down, let's calm down, and let's let let, let the let the dust settle and see what happens here before we start judging things." I mean, like I said, I talked to folks who been who went to it, and there was not one bad thing said about it for the folks that went and visited, you know. And so, what I was seeing people complaining about were folks that had never even that didn't even go to Asbury, you know. So I don't know where they're getting their information from because what I was reading and what I was the folks I was talking to. There was not one bad thing said about it. And I just wanted to, we needed, we just need to calm down sometimes. Take it to take a breath. Let's see what's going on here. And uh, let's not hinder the process because I mean, I just, I don't know. It's just, it was one of those things that, that I would rather wake up every day and hear people praising Jesus, talking about going and learning more about Jesus and people getting baptized than waking up and pulling up Facebook and seeing people fighting about a beer can. Or something stupid. I mean, I want that's the that's the world I want to live in. I want to wake up and see people ha- being happy about you know Jesus and about the situation, about being Christians and and loving one another. You know that that's what I want. That's the world I want to wake up to every day. But unfortunately, it's not. And that's what I want. Kind of wanted to do with this show today is just kind of get people to just take a step back, take a breath. And now that the dust has settled on on the Asbury, and it's not really a thing anymore. Let's talk about it and have a conversation. And I know folks who listen to this show are not going to agree with me on this, and that's fine. 
I, I know a lot of people that listen to this show that don't agree with on some of the stuff I say. That's why I like to get people with different perspectives on the show so they can we can kind of flesh some of this stuff out. And that's why I wanted to get you on today because your, your Facebook post caught my attention. You sent me some fantastic notes on it. And um, I don't know if, if, if you have anything else you want to add to it before I let you go, then I'll let you plug whatever you want to plug. Oh, no, I, I, I think we covered it pretty well. Um you know, there's people who who kind of build their identity on being contrarian or being a heresy hunter, or uh, figuring out who's you know who's secretly a ravenous wolf, right? And that's their whole thing. And um, I don't know. I, I that's that's got to be tiresome because I think when when you look at the world that way, um, you can I think you miss the movements of the spirit and you miss joy, right? Yeah. And you know, you're so cynical that you can't just you're always looking a gift horse in the mouth. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people, like I said, who, you know, they have this really uncritical view of the past because they can, you know, it's not what they're living in right now. They can kind of be nostalgic about it and, and you know, see it in one kind of way. Uh, but, you know, everybody else in the world today is is a heretic or a false prophet or a wolf or something. Uh, it's anyway, uh, if I don't get called a heretic at least once a week, I figure people stop listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, you, you called it tiresome, you know, people are, are seeking that. It sounds exhausting to me. Yeah. You gotta be able to slow down and find a little bit of joy in life. Yeah. If you, yeah, exactly. You gotta slow down and try and find a little bit of joy. Let's do that. Let's see. Let's, let's try that and see what happens and we'll, we can go from there, but you got anything you want to plug? I know you got your own podcast and you write for LCI as well too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've kind of officially sort of on the team of a libertarian Christian Institute at this point. Um, and um, I've got a, a website as well and a podcast called Cantus Firmus, <laughs> which I should have went with a Latin term that nobody knew, but, um, uh, but C-A-N-T-U-S uh, dash F-I-R-M-U-S.com is the website. And if you look up the podcast, Cantus Firmus, um, I've kind of, it was kind of broadly theological at times that I would sometimes have like uh, theologians and philosophers on to talk about like, um, uh, <laughs> movies that they thought were like theologically significant. We talk about the themes in the movies and stuff. So I've kind of been everywhere. It's been in different, different trajectories, but I've kind of decided that because I've, I've written so much on sort of the Christian anarchist type stuff that that's kind of been, I'm kind of shifting things more as that, that kind of being the centerpiece. Uh, just because people don't want to listen to a podcast that's about everything they want to, you know, they want it branded, I guess. Um, so, but uh, yes, but Cantus Firmus, uh, and uh, you can also find me on uh, some of my published work on Libertarian Christian Institute's website, uh, which is libertarianchristians.com. Yes. <laughs> Making sure that was right. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I need to check some of that stuff out. I, you know, we've, we've kind of done that with, uh, with the project. Um, it was, very centered on you know the no king but christ and the, the entanglement of the christian with the state and you know then we'll do something like this we'll have a conversation like this you know because i like to give it a little bit of variety i mean just last night i had larkin rose on and then that was a conversation that you know i never imagined i would ever get to have and that was i told him too i was like i said doing this i've been able to talk to people all over the world and i still have a hard time wrapping my brain around that getting to talk to people in poland and in Russia and Australia and Canada, you know, just stuff like that to me is, I don't know. That's just fascinating to me because there's a lot of people around this entire world trying to figure this stuff out. Oh yeah. That, that's my favorite thing about, about doing a podcast is I could actually ask theologians that I read questions. I mean, that, that's amazing. <laughs> or, or I've had, I've had like guests on, I've even had like, um, uh, you know, kind of some celebrity guests, um, 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 Bridget Nelson who wrote for mystery science theater 3000, 
Uh, we talked about like a, a couple movies together. Um, I had Andy Merrill who played Brack on Space Ghost. <laughs> nice. Uh, we talked about his theological, kind of religious background, and so yeah, it's it's kind of an amazing way to you know get to have conversations with people that you wouldn't normally get to. Oh yeah, I mean, I met some incredible folks just through this project. You know that I would have never probably ever met in my life. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 just fascinating to me, just to get to get to talk to people who are way smarter than me to try to help me figure some of the stuff out that I'm going through. But anyway, man, I appreciate this. This was fun. We'll, we'll do it again. You've got some more stuff that I want to talk to you about in the future that you mentioned before we started recording. So I'll get you back on if you're interested. Oh, for sure. We'd love it. All right, buddy. I'm going to let you go. All right. Thanks, Craig. See you, buddy. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Thank you.